New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Dr. Judith Simon Prager's work and book, The Worst is Over, is hailed as a Bible for crisis communication. I've used it myself as a first person on the scene after a car accident. Prager's instructions gave me confidence to be of help to someone in pain and shock. She gives us concrete guidance of what to say when every moment counts. A former guest of New Dimensions, Dr. Larry Dossi, has this to say about her work. The Worst is Over is a major contribution to healing and one of the most original books I have read in some time. At this moment in history, when many wish totally to give over to drugs, genome manipulation, and stem cells, we need this message more than ever that human consciousness and the ways we choose to communicate with one another can make a difference in life and death. So, dear listener, please join us as we explore the power of verbal first aid with our guest, Dr. Judith Simon Prager. Judith Simon Prager is a psychologist in private practice and is teaching in the UCLA Extension Writers Program. She has built a global reputation for work in verbal first aid, teaching first responders what to say so that traumatized people can begin to heal as soon as they hear the words. She designed the first pre-, intra-, and post-surgery guided imagery program, which was pilot-tested to extremely positive results, Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. She presents programs for school systems around the country, talking to kids about lockdown drills without scaring them. She's the author of What the Dolphin Said and co-author with Judith Acosta of The Worst is Over, Verbal First Aid to Calm, Relieve Pain, Promote Healing, and Save Lives. I'm speaking with Dr. Prager at her home in Northern California by remote connection. This conversation is recorded in early April 2020 during the early stages of shelter in place because of the coronavirus pandemic. Join us for the next hours. We explore what to say and do when people are in fear, pain, and panic, and loneliness with our guest, Dr. Judith Simon Prager. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host 
Welcome to New Dimensions. Judith, welcome. Justine, it's really a pleasure to be with you again. We we met earlier on another segment of this uh, wonderful program when I introduced the horses over years and years ago. But we found that more and more, that whole idea of verbal first day, the whole idea of what you say, of communication to people in times of fear and pain and injury is so important. So what I originally planned to do at this moment was to do a little quick rewrite. I spoke to my co-author about it, a quick rewrite of Verbal First Aid, just a pamphlet on how to use it. But as I thought about it, the actual Verbal First Aid is about tending to an emergency, a physical, generally a physical emergency. We, we wrote it originally for first responders who find somebody broken up in the road, as you did, and, and knew what to say. And it makes all the difference in the world on how they heal and how they remember it. And I'm going to give you a wonderful example of that in a little while. But uh, uh, So I realized that it isn't verbal first aid so much that I'm talking about as communicating. How do we, how do we, it's so important to know that our words and our tone of voice are especially important for how people deal with life in difficult times. And we are now in difficult times that may last for a very long time. You pointed out this was just the beginning of the pandemic. And we don't know how long it will last, but people are condemned to be in situations where they can't escape. And so what we need to help them do is find ways to talk to each other to make it to make it easier, more pleasant, more comfortable, to make them not be so frightened. The more that you read the news, the more frightened you get, of course. So and and we are a mind body. The whole idea of verbal first aid is that we are a mind body. So every thought that we have generates a physiological reaction. The example I always give is you wake up from a nightmare and your palms are sweaty, and your heart is palpitating, and your throat is dry, and you open your eyes, and you're in your bedroom. And there's no stalker chasing you, no lion, nothing to escape. Do you roll over and go back to sleep? You do not. You sit up, you go to the bathroom, you have a drink of water, you check the locks on the doors, and then you go to your phone or your internet, and for 20 minutes, a cascade of chemicals is running through your body, changing the way you feel, getting you ready for fight or flight because something frightened you. But it was just an image. It was just a thought. So that's how large a thought can have an effect on your mind, body, and spirit. And when we talk to each other in a way that frightens each other, it changes our bodies too. And it, there's a 20-minute cascade of adrenaline and cortisol when you wake up from a nightmare. One of my favorite stories Deepak Chopra tells in one of his books, he talks about two people on a roller coaster. And the way I always do it is I say there's a, you know, there's a, I'm, there's a middle-aged lady like me or maybe even older like me on a roller coaster. Uh, I don't know who talked me into being on here, but whoever it is, if, if I live through this experience, I will kill them because this is the scariest thing that ever happened. I, this belt is not going to hold me. Sitting right next to me is a 14-year-old boy on the very same seat. We're hip to hip. Maybe I like it. Maybe he doesn't. But any, in any event, we're sitting hip to hip. He's got his baseball cap on backward and his M&M t-shirt on. And he's looking 90 degrees straight down isn't straight down enough for him. He's, he's exhilarated. He is so excited. 
me in my fear, I'm making that adrenaline and cortisol. I'm harming my body. He, in his exhilaration, as uh, Deepak Chopra explains, is making interleukin-2, which they make in the, in the uh, research labs to help fight cancer. So he is helping himself. I'm harming myself. We're on exactly the same, having the exact same experience. And it is just our thought about whether we're harming ourselves or hurting ourselves, whether we're doing the, whether we're making the chemicals that help us be well or the opposite. So people who are locked up and can't go outside and are terrified to see their neighbors and are wearing masks and all the things that are happening during this pandemic, and we don't know how long it will go on, but at least at this time, and maybe even for some time to come, I hope not, um, those people are in fear. And being in fear allows them, here's another interesting thing about verbal first aid and, and what we talk about when we do. And that is that people who are in fear and shock and trauma go into an altered state of consciousness. I'm a hypnotherapist. And so I know about altered states of consciousness. And in such things, in such a state, almost everything you say is a suggestion to the unconscious mind. So when a, when a um, EMT picking up somebody says, oh, buddy, did you break yourself up? Or don't move him. He might have broken his back and then he'll be crippled. Those are thoughts that lodge in the mind. They're suggestions. When a doctor says you have six months to live, they don't say that very much anymore. But they used to say you have six months to live. And then people would just set their watches and, and die on time because an authority figure is making a suggestion. Doctors and first responders generally used to say frightening things, and because the the victim, the person who is frightened, the person person who is in pain, is in an altered state, what an authority figure says to them is a, a suggestion. In fact, and this is not pertinent so much to being in a lockdown situation, but it's pertinent to the accident that you saw any accident in which somebody's bleeding. Unless it is major arterial or venous bleeding, you can say to someone, stop your bleeding and save your blood. And generally, they will. They will because it's a suggestion to the unconscious mind and the unconscious mind rules the blood flow. And so you can just, yes. And so what, what that, what that says is that what we imagine, we can, we can imagine things. Our imagination is powerful, just as powerful as our physical, any physical part of our being. You are so right. It is real to us. It's as real to us as reality. So if we say this, for example, even for a burn, if somebody gets burned, and this could happen in your home from boiling water, whatever, a burn, um, if it's under third degree burn and you get it within the first hour, you can say to somebody, imagine that packed in ice, cool and comfortable. Or imagine if you were out in the snow and you put it in a, you know, in a snow bank. And, it, and when you do that, it doesn't have to get edema swelling. It doesn't have to scar. It becomes... It heals so much faster and so much better. And it's because you've imagined it. And I have a, an interview with a doctor that I did that's on, I, that somebody did that's on video. And his son was out skiing in the mountains in the, in the winter and came back and they were afraid that the sunburn would peel and hurt his face. So the father said, imagine your face cool and comfortable. Imagine packed in ice, blah, blah, blah. And the next morning, the sun came down and he 
his face was perfectly fine, but his ears were bright red because they didn't include <laughs> they didn't include the idea of ears in that in that visualization. So the visualization, the the thought actually manifests. Words are so powerful. Um, Rudyard Kipling was famous for saying, words are, of course, the most powerful drug known to, he said, mankind. We can say humankind. And they really are powerful. So um, it, they affect our body and, that's, and, and our spirit. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, I mean, you are pointing that out and you have lots of um, analogies and stories to tell where people really have improved. They've calmed down. Their health has improved. And I, I want to really get into some of the things that we're going through right now, which is people are together in ways like, or not together, people are in isolation, there's loneliness. So I'd like to, at some point, cover what we can say to ourselves, because mm -hmm. that's the, when we're all by ourselves. And then also when we're in a household and we're, we're, together all the time with maybe <laughs> yeah. like a bunch of kids and so forth right. and so on. So right. we'll talk about that in a moment. I just want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Judith Prager, and she is the co-author with Judith Acosta of The Worst is Over, Verbal First Aid to Calm, Relieve Pain, Promote Healing, and Save Lives. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, Judith Prager, P-R-A-G-E-R.com, JudithPrager.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Judith Prager. She's a co-author with Judith Acosta of The Worst is Over. And Judith, in this time, when we are doing this actual recording, uh, I'm home alone in my apartment, and you are with, I think, your husband, I believe, or mm -hmm. in, yeah. in your home. And um, we are sheltering in place. So help us understand how this verbal first aid can help us as we shelter in place. Absolutely. And that's a really good question. Um, there was a recent article in the Washington Post that was headlined, Human Connection Bolsters the Immune System 
And the subhead was, that's why it's more important than ever to be kind. And it was all about how, especially if you're alone, they said a supportive phone call, an empathetic ear, an expression of love. These things can bolster the immune system on a molecular level, whether you are the recipient or the giver. Kindness is good for the health. I think it's really important for us to remember that we want to connect. Something else to say about whether you're alone or whether you're in this crazy condition. When 9-11 happened in New York, I interviewed a man named uh, Leo Shea III, and he worked with uh, trauma victims, and it was very brilliant in that at the Rusk Institute at NYU, New York University Hospital. And he just said a sentence that was so important. He said, it's normal to feel crazy in the middle of a crazy situation, to be upset by something upsetting, to be frightened by something frightening. I think that's really important to know. There's nothing wrong with you if you're going, I hate this, or this is making me nuts. I mean, obviously, then you want to find ways to get around it. But the point is, there's nothing wrong with you thinking about that. This situation is crazy making. And, and acknowledging that at least allows you to say, all right, and so what am I going to do? And then you can start doing a lot of things. In fact, this is a little premature for me to say it, but you gave away my um, email, my um, web page. I'm working with my web designer right now to come up with what I'm calling a toolkit for getting through this. And it's got all kinds of ways that we can help ourselves. It's got it's got guided imagery, you know, that you can listen to to calm you. It's got um, these things called psychosensory which are the, I don't know if you've heard of the tapping and havening. There are different ways that you can calm your body, uh, calm your mind through your body. And you can learn those and I'm put, going to put them up. And there are different ways you can work with your kids. I, I have a whole toolbox full of ways that I'm, I've got to figure out how to put up on a web page so that people can just click around and at no charge, just find for them what will keep them going at a time of whether they're alone or whether there's too much craziness and they can put the kids to, to watch some of this. And it's really important that we, that we have the distractions and that we find ways of dealing. I have one thing that was in one of our other books. The other book was called Verbal First Aid, Help Your Kids Heal from, from Fear and Pain and Come Out Strong. And in that book, we have this little story of a little boy who's upset. And, you know, Kids melt down, and especially in this, they're going to melt down um, because they need to get their energy out and jump up and down and all that. And they obviously, there's not enough room in some places for them to be doing it. So the mother said to the little boy, I can see that you're upset. Are you upset all over? And there's a truth that we can feel in our body where we feel anger. We can feel in our body where we feel love. We all usually the heart. We can feel in the body where we feel our yes and no. We have a yes and no in our body. And when something is agreeable to us, to uh, even on an unconscious level, our body responds that way. And when something is we know we shouldn't. It's one of those things where I knew I shouldn't do it. I don't know why I did it. Well, your body was talking to you and you could feel I, it. I can just imagine a mother asking a child, um, you know, to say, I see you're upset. Are you upset all over your body? And then you can play a game and you can touch their toe and say, you've got it. That, oh, that was brilliant of you to guess it. She says, the mother says, I can see you're upset. Are you upset all over? And the little kid in being upset said, yes. In your stomach? Yes. 
In your arms? Yes. In both of them? Yes. And both your legs too, of course. Yes. How about your shoulders? Yes. And your eyelashes? Yes. All of them? By that point, the kid is blinking and trying to figure out if he's upset in his eyelashes. Is there any part of you that isn't upset? A toenail, perhaps. Maybe one toenail. How would you feel if you put yourself there and looked at all the other parts from your toenail? And it's just a question of, you know, if you would just, instead of being upset with the kid, if you would find a way, as you were suggesting, of make it a game, make it a way that we can interact and, and honor, you know, the most important thing in, in what I train is listening. Listening is the key to everything. Everyone wants to be heard. Justine, I can't even explain it when I'm in therapy with someone and I'm, I had this happen one day. We were just, this lady was just there going through her usual complaints about, I don't know, her mother or whatever, but it was nothing specific. And all of a sudden she started crying. And I said to her, what's going on? And she said, you're really listening. And I thought to myself, first of all, you pay me to do that. That's my job. But second, it's funny. But second of all, I thought to myself, I mean, it just breaks my heart that people aren't accustomed to being heard. And it's partly because we think we're so great multitasking, you know? So we're on the phone and we're on our computer and we're eating lunch and we're waving to someone. And, and so anyone knows that you're only getting a quarter of the attention of the person you're talking to. And that is so dismissive. So when you stop everything and you just listen, and one of the techniques of verbal first aid is to repeat back. So the kid says, you know, I banged my knee. Oh, your knee. Tell me. And it, well, it, I, I banged it against the, ta the table. Oh, you banged it against the table. Which table? I want to talk to that table. But in any event, however you decide to do it, what you're saying is I hear you. It is so incredibly important to say that, that I hear you. Other magic words, which are similar to that in uh, verbal first aid is I'm right here. I remember, you may recall, um, it was a long time ago, but uh, there was a congresswoman named Gabrielle Giffords, and she was giving a talk in, in, um, in Arizona, and some crazy person came up and shot her in the head, and she fell down, and her, she had an assistant who had only worked for her a couple weeks. He, he knew nothing about first aid. Somebody called 911, but she's sitting there with a bullet in her head, bleeding. And he's sitting next to her holding her hand. And he wouldn't let go. And things kept going on and whatever. And he held her hand. And I have a picture of her being carried on the stretcher to the ambulance where they're going to take her to the hospital. And this guy is holding her hand as she's still on the stretcher, he wouldn't let go. And he said, I wanted her to know that there was somebody there. And, you know, she healed quite well. She's out campaigning now for gun control, and she's just an amazing person. But I feel like what saved her was not what happens when you think I'm all alone. I've been shot in the head. I don't know what to do. My life is over. I don't know how to fix myself. What kind of chemicals are going through your body then? But if somebody else says, even simply, I'm right here, all of a sudden, you're, it's not your job to fix yourself anymore. Somebody else knows. So it just allows you to begin to go from the sympathetic nervous system, which is the nervous system that's scanning the world for all the things that are scary 
to the parasympathetic nervous system, which allows us to rest and digest and to heal. So the idea of just saying I'm right here or I hear you is a way of saying you're not alone in this. I'm right with you. And even if the kid has known that, that he's not alone because he's in a house full of people, still when he, when he bumps his knee, he wants your undivided attention. Not that's, oh, that's too bad, honey. I have to go finish dinner. No, tell me about it. Let me hear. Because, you know, if the child is really heard, he's not going to bother you so much later on in the day. So in, in that, what you're talking about is that um, in our society, we go so quickly to trying to fix something and right. to say, oh, you're going to be okay, or I'll, I'll kiss your wound or whatever. But you're saying the first thing is to acknowledge what they're going through and not to negate it. Is that what you're saying? Not that to so dismiss you, you, it. You did it beautifully. Yes. When you dismiss somebody, when you, you know what happens to a lot of times a father will do this to a boy because he wants him to be brave. Oh, you're all right. The kid may have fallen out of a tree and broken his arm, but for the father to say you're all right, says to the kid, either I dismiss it or you should dismiss yourself. And so it, it, it's so much better for the future of the child to feel that what happens to him matters and he can pay attention to it. And then we can take care of it. Um, I'll tell you this wonderful story, one of my favorite. I, I have so many and I love them. But there's one story of a Northern California firefighter received the copy of The Worst is Over from his mother. And he said, you know, I should have I should have read it right away because my mother's always right. She introduced me to my wife and she was smart about that. So I should have paid attention to her. But anyway, I read it last night. He, he, I spoke to him on the phone. He said, I read part of it last night because I couldn't sleep. And the next day I was ca called to a car crash. And there was a mother and a six-year-old daughter in the car. And the... It, the tra it wasn't a, a tragedy. They were banged up, but they were all right. They were going to be fine. But the mother, we were able to retrieve her because the child was on the side of the car that was impacted and we couldn't open her door. So she is crying hysterically because she's frightened and her mother is already out of the car. And he said, I came over and ordinarily I would have been yelling, get the jaws of life. That's what they call it when they pry the car open. Um, but he said, instead, I remembered verbal first aid. I reached in and touched her knee. And she's crying. And I said, I'm a daddy like your daddy. And I have a little girl just like you. And I'm going to take care of you as if you were my little girl. Justine, everything became quiet. He couldn't believe it. She sat patiently while they got her out. And he said, oh, verbal first aid is wonderful. I said, you don't even know how wonderful it is. Yes, it affected her so she could heal right on the spot and feel fine. But it affected the way that she thinks about it forever because she doesn't think of this as the worst thing that ever happened to her, a catastrophe, a frightening experience. That's a trauma. She doesn't think of it that way. She thinks of it now as a time of rescue and maybe even a time of her own courage. And what did it take? Two sentences? And it made all that difference in her life. And that's why I'm saying, even in this confinement, when people are locked in houses with each other, they should speak to each other in a way that doesn't cause trauma in the long run. It's especially true for kids because this is their, this is their childhood that they're going through. If this is going to be 18 months or whatever they're saying, two years, that's two years between four and five or between two and three or between 
you know, even between 14 and 16, when they're really into their wanting to be independent and everything else, and they're stuck at home with mom and dad. So this is a really hard time and not to be, of course, you, you can't be perfect all the time, but you have to, you have to do the best you can. And we'll talk about that. I'm here with Dr. Judith Prager. She's the author, co-author with Judith Acosta of The Worst is Over, Verbal First Aid to Calm, Relieve Pain, Promote Healing, and Save Lives. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Judith Prager, co-author of The Worst is Over. We're talking about specifically about how at this time, really specifically for children sheltering in place, this is a particularly important time in their formation of of all their memory circuits of what's going to happen at this time. So what advice do you have for for especially parents who are are sequestered with their youngsters or maybe teenagers even even more important teenagers yeah <laughs> yes. uh, you know i will say a few things one is that the children are watching so it's up to us as the adults to be adults, and I know that maybe the husband gets on his on the mother's the wife's nerves, or you know, an aunt who's living happens to be living with them, or a roommate that you didn't know you were going to wind up being living with for two years. It just you invited, or them the in. tension about money right now is is huge. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to be, you know, we're going to be at each other a little bit, but just know that the children are watching, and know that how we talk. Justine, if we could see each other's energy fields as we talk to each other, we would be obliged to be so much more gentle. Because, you know, it even in a, like a work situation, when you walk up to somebody and you say, are you okay? You look really tired. All of a sudden, this, the energy around them collapses and they go, yeah, I guess I didn't sleep all that well. And pretty soon, that's been a a little curse you put on them. But if you say to them, you know, I heard a really great thing about you, or did you lose weight? Or I love your new hairdo. That looks, you look 20 years younger. They light up like there was a candle inside. And and everything that we say has that kind of effect on each other. So we know that we have to be much more gentle, but especially with children, you know, we can, and, and, I, I want to talk a little bit too about grieving and loss because there are people dying and sometimes it's grandma and grandpa. And that's, how do you explain it to a kid? I mean, there's no explanation for this. So what we have to do is find ways to help them process it at least and, and be, you know, uh, just allow them to know that you're there, allow them to know. And, and 
adults are grieving too, of course. Adults have lost parents and, and people who are important to them. And also on, in, on that point, if let's say the person who has contracted coronavirus and they're in the hospital, uh, we can't go visit them. They're isolated from family, except uh, using maybe FaceTime or something like this uh, to be able to see each other. And that is terribly difficult, too. Yes, it's horrible. It's, it's, this is the saddest way to die. It's just very sad because you want to be able to, to touch. It's not being able to touch, you know, in, in nonverbal first aid and in, in beyond words, Touch is so important. Touch is a way that we connect. You know, they say the hug is something that you give and receive at the same time. It's just a totally wonderful thing. And people, it's been interesting that men have been now willing to hug. It was not a big thing with especially American men. They were too macho. And all of a sudden, you know, men have been hugging each other. And now that's done for some period of time. And so this is really hard. I know I'm kind of jumping around on a lot of different things, but uh, I want to say about children, and I have a, a little note here, that when you're talking to kids, they have a different worldview than, than you do. And you're the one who gives them the worldview that they have, but they still can make mistakes. And I'll tell you a funny story about that I tell with doctors. And one of them is there was a young boy who had, a, he had um, abdominal surgery, I guess, he and so he was crying, and the um, nurse, the doctor came in, and the mother was there, and the mother said his stomach is bothering him, and the doctor palpated and said, "Oh, it's just gas." And the mother said, "Oh, okay," and the doctor left. That evening, the mother was home, and the doctor was doing rounds, and she came into the room with the young boy who was crying, and she said, "What's the matter?" And she finally figured out that what he thought. When she said he, you have gas, was that it was Exxon Mobil, and that if you struck a match, you would explode. Gas to him is what that that you put in your car tank. And she said, I realized I didn't talk to my patient, and so we have to talk to children and find out what's bothering them. Because you know, there's a, an old joke about the kid comes home from school and he says, "Mommy, where am I from?" And she goes into the where'd I come from? And then she goes into the whole long thing about a man, a father, and a mother, and they do this and that, and the egg and the sperm. And he goes, "Okay, mom, but where am I from? Bobby's from Ohio." <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> that's all he meant. So before you go into the long the long story, find out what it is they're trying to understand, and that way they're really heard and. You don't have to sometimes get off on a different track you didn't even want to get into, like the birds and the bees. So the other story about children having mistaken notions about things, there was a young girl who had a, a serious cut on her arm and, and it had been sewn up. And while the, she had stitches, she was very, very brave, terrifically brave. She was wonderful. And then when it came time to take the stitches out, she became hysterical and would not allow it and screamed and yelled and dug her heels in. And nobody could figure out why, because it's so much less painful to remove stitches. So what was her problem? And then the mother remembered that some time ago, her raggedy Ann doll, her rag doll had lost an arm. The mother had sewn it back on. And if you take the stitches out... Oh. The arm falls off. Oh. The arm falls off. 
So that's not illogical on her part. It's not illogical. It's just a different worldview from ours and the real world that, you know, arms grow back together on human beings. So it's um, important when a child is upset about something to find out what they're really upset about. You just stop everything and listen, especially listen. What's going on? When a child is, is upset, it's a wonderful thing to see if you can if you can learn what's upset them, because they may, they may not even know. Sometimes you have to say, are you upset because blah, blah, and you might notice that their shoulders just sink and they think, yeah, I didn't know that's what was bothering me. So at least check in with them. Don't say you're being bad, go to your room. When they're upset, they're, they act bad because they don't have another way to deal with it. They don't have our ways. They can't go to the refrigerator and get a glass of wine. They don't know what to do when they're upset. And so, yes, they act out. So sometimes to punish them for acting out is, is not solving the problem for them or you. It's not going away. So find out what's going on, what's, what is troubling you. It makes all the difference in the world. I'd like to go back briefly to uh, grief. Uh, we we highlighted uh-huh. that for a moment. And I know that at some point in your career, you were in China uh, after a devastating earthquake. I think 80,000 people died in the earthquake. That's right. That's right. And yeah. I would imagine part of your work there was about grief. Is that right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And the, and the way that they did it, we were talking at a, a psychology college, but they don't have much psychology or they didn't at the time. It was 2008. They didn't. If you're sick, you go to a doctor. If you're having a mental problem, think differently is the way they thought it. But they did have these psychologists who would talk by phone to people who would call in. And when 80,000 people died. The, the earthquake in Sichuan um, knocked down the schools. It happened at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The children were in school. The shops did not fall down. The schools were shoddily built, and parents were furious that because of the shoddy workmanship, their children died. And remember, they could only have one child. Right. Horrifying. So um, they were really upset. And so these therapists had to talk to them on the phone. So I had to pretend to be the therapist and they had to pretend to be the mother in this giant auditorium. And so they would come up, but it was all translated. So you don't even know what's going on. But the the therapist was telling me about this little girl who had died. And I said, tell me about her. Tell me what she was like. Because sometimes when we lose someone, we really want to bring them back with the good memories. So she says she loved to dance and blah, blah, blah. And the parents, the mothers were committing suicide. They had a child, they lost their child, they only were allowed to have one, and they didn't know if they could still have another. So they were literally committing suicide. So I was trying to think how to keep this woman alive, even though she lost her child. And finally, I said to her, you know that your daughter lives. Oh, this woman turned her back to me. She said, I can, she's on the phone, so I can't even see her face. And she turned around and she's telling me about her daughter. And I said, your child lives. She lives in your heart. 
And the woman went back to the auditorium. And then moments later, she came running back up and grabbed the microphone. And for two minutes, Justine, for two minutes, she's talking in Chinese, where I don't know if she's mad at me. I mean, it's very emphatic talking. And I just didn't know if I'd said the wrong thing, the right thing. And I couldn't. And I had to wait for the translation. And the translation was, my heart never felt so good. And people were crying in the audience. Now, that's not a brilliant thing to say, but it is an important thing to say. When you love somebody and you know you have been in grief, you have loved somebody, you can keep them alive in your heart because they always are there. They are the most important thing. They are vivid in our memories. They're as alive as yesterday. Yesterday is alive. And so it's really a a way of, of honoring how important that person is to you. And also, even when you're grieving deeply, it says how important that person is to you. And so that's just really major. Exactly. So when you you said earlier how these kinds of words are even more powerful than uh, a pill, uh, than some sort of prescription, that they really right. can change our physiology they change the whole scene. They they alleviate PTSD. That that we <laughs> talked about the little girl. That her memory of that moment of that accident maybe saved her from PTSD. That she was felt her courage. So these are some of the things that we can really tap into when we talk. What's Justine? What's so important is we all have words. All we have to learn is how to use them. I'm going to tell you that in the next segment. Okay. Okay, great. Well, I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with uh, Judith, Dr. Judith Simon Prager, and she, along with her co-author, Judith Acosta, are the authors of The Worst is Over, Verbal First Aid to Calm, Relieve Pain, Promote Healing, and Save Lives. And she's also the um, author of the book, uh, The Dolphin Speak, the, What the Dolphin Said. And so she's also worked with um, uh, communication with the animals. So maybe we can touch on that just briefly, at least in the next segment. But I'm looking forward to more conversation. And I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Judith Prager, and you can find more about her work, and her website is chock full of all sorts of good things. It's judithprager.com. That's judithprager, P-R-A-G-E-R.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Dr. Judith Prager, and she's a co-author with Judith Acosta of The Worst is Over. And uh, Judith, uh, verbal first aid, very, very powerful. What more can you tell us about it? But we, um, when I give my talks, I often point out that you have to say what it is you want to have happen, not that, you, not what you don't. And the way that we show it is by uh, telling the whole audience, everybody, we'd like you to imagine any animal, picture and imagine any animal in the kingdom of animals, any animal that you want to imagine except elephants. Don't think about African elephants with the big ears and the big, and what are you thinking about? You're thinking about elephants because in this sentence, don't think about elephants. There's nothing else to think about. So your little son comes in, here you are all contained in this little small house, and your little son comes in grabbing his stomach, and you say, oh, please, Johnny, don't vomit. What does he hear? Vomit? What a good idea. I didn't even think of that. That's a great idea. You might as well duck and cover if you say don't vomit. What you want to say is, oh, tell me about your stomach. Maybe you could imagine that your stomach is just relaxing like, like our kitten, the way our kitten curls up and relaxes. Maybe your stomach could just curl up and relax like that. Or there was some, some one of our students said, um, my, my grandmother used to say, and so how's your head? And the kid would say, my head is all right. And she said, why don't you go lie down and pretty soon your stomach will feel like your head. So whatever it is that you want to do, but don't say, what you don't want to happen. You see the little kid with the lower lip going up and down like he's about to cry. If you say, don't cry, the next thing you hear is, <laughs> so instead of that, say, tell me what's going on. And the poor kid who was just about to cry changes gears and says, well, Bobby hit me and I, blah, blah. So that's fine. We get to talk instead and we get to figure it out. And that's fine. You know, sometimes you hear a parent say, don't run, you'll fall. And then the kid runs and falls. And the mother says, I told you, you would. Yeah, you told him he would. So instead of that, say, walk carefully or take your time, or there's plenty of time or watch where you're going. That's all. Just don't make it because all of this is a suggestion. And especially young kids, are open to suggestion all the time because they're in an altered state, usually till they're about seven. They're in and out of this altered state. So everything is a suggestion to them. And that's why it's so important to be, you know, when I'm in therapy and I'm with my, my clients, they won't even remember, but it will come up eventually that their parents said, you'll never amount to anything or who will ever love you. You're not lovable. When, when you say those things, they, they get embedded, you know, they get, that's part of who I am now. And that's not good. So I can't say be a perfect parent. I wasn't a perfect parent. Um, and I don't know anybody who is, but all I can say is if you're aware of it, I wish I could go over and start over. No, not really. But if I, but if I did start over, I'd be a better parent. And I think being aware that what you say, especially saying what you want to have happen, not what you don't is really helpful. Sit down and draw. You'll be, feel, be so happy. Let's draw a picture. And even when we're talking about grieving, Let's draw a picture about your favorite time with grandpa. Just draw, what did you love best? Remember when you went to the circus with grandpa and you came back and you told us all about the, the elephants, speaking of elephants or whatever. <laughs> you draw a picture of yourself and grandpa. At the, and then it's, you know, he, he lives in, her, in that child's heart. You know, it's alive while you're doing it. 
You know, I, I got um, an email from a very dear friend of mine and former guest of New Dimensions, Brenda Peterson. Mm-hmm. And she just wrote this article for Tacon Magazine. And she started it off with something really that relates to, to your work, Judith. And she actually ended up in the hospital with uh, pneumonia. And she was in total isolation. And so when the nurses would come in, they'd be all in their equipment, their PPE, their personal Yeah, equipment. it's nice to have it, isn't it? It's really good yeah, if you have uh, it. And, um, you know, she only had her little iPhone, I guess, or some phone with her music and so forth. And, and her fever was quite high. And she was like 105 degrees. And... And one midnight, a Haitian nurse came in. She mentioned specifically the Haitian nurse, Maureen, came in. And she told the nurse, she said, I don't know if I will survive. And the nurse said these words, which is just so powerful, I think. she, The nurse said, just this one night. That's all you have to get through just this one night. And somehow for Brenda, it broke the fever. She was able to get through the night. And it was um, those words from that nurse that helped her to say, don't worry so far into the future. Just get through this night. You're, You're going to be fine in this night. What do you think? That is such a blessing. It's exactly right. There's a story Stephen King said. He was the writer, Stephen King, who writes all this horror stuff, was hit by a van. And when he looked down at his body, his whole pelvis was twisted at 90 degrees. And he said, uh, uh, an EMT picked him up and he said, am I going to die? And the EMT said, not yet. And that's all he said. And Later on, when and, and Stephen King held on to that like just this one night, it was exactly the same feeling. Oh, good, I'm still alive. When he later on, he went to talk to that EMT after it was a well over and said, You know, thank you for saying that. And the EMT said, I just meant you weren't going to die on my watch. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because what it's so important that we have a rope to hang on to. We need something to hold on to. And if an authority figure, and it doesn't have to be a real authority figure, as I was saying with uh, Gabrielle Giffords and, the, and her assistant who knew nothing except to hold her hand, if somebody's here and somebody knows and somebody seems to care, it gets us through in such a beautiful way. It's it's absolutely essential. And so you say what you want to have happen. Get through this night. I, thank you for saying that story. It's a perfect story. Get through this night. Yes. And so I'm watching. I'm here for you. Let's let's do it. And that's what I did when I sat by the side of the road with that woman after that car accident. And it was so incredible, uh, Judith, because I had just done that interview with you a couple of days before. Mm. And, and when this traffic was stopping and I was the first car and there, there was this woman and she was already out by the side of the road. And I could tell that she was confused. She was in pain. She was upset and anxious. And I was just able to go over and just touch her very gently and say, I'm here and help is on the way. 
And magic, magic know, words, I, help is on the way. Then I don't think, how oh, am I going to put myself together? What am I going to do? This is the end of my life. This is so horrible. What am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. I've never been in a car crash before. I think I'm going to die. And then somebody says, no, I'm right here. Help is on the way. <gasps> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, I wonder if you want to say anything about this other piece of work that you have which is what the dolphins said. And you've worked with dolphins and communications beyond all of our verbal communications. There's other communications that you've experienced. That's right. I wanted to know, wanted to know what nonverbal first aid would be like. I even went to see equine-assisted therapy, which is horses, and that was kind of interesting. But I was called to the dolphins. I felt like they are wiser than anything and we don't even know how smart they are and I, I was able to go down and watch them work with some children with disabilities and they were not dolphins who were sitting in the swimming pool they were in a large lagoon and they were doing this of their own volition sometimes there are animals who want to help that's all they want to do you know it's also true about those rescue dogs that the people who train them to be rescued and come through a pile of rubble and find somebody those dogs get very depressed if they don't find anybody. So their trainers have to go and hide so the dogs can find somebody and feel like they've done their job. This is, there are animals who want to work with us. They, it's, they're honored. We're honored. It's wonderful. But what I learned about the dolphins is they're, I think they're telepathic. And they understand because many of these kids could not speak, and yet they knew. And so the, the um, physical, head physical therapist who I was working with as I was help, looking at these kids told me one story of, a, of one time where he suggested to the dolphin that he move this child through the water by his foot. And the dolphin refused and moved him by his shoulder. And when, he, when the therapist got out, he mentioned it to the mother. The dolphin refused. And the mother said, oh, I forgot to tell you. He had a surgery on his foot. And... Um, and the dolphin knew that. I mean, they know this. They are so, they can see inside of us. They think it's very funny when we have metal implants. They can see when there's a fetus inside us. They, they send out uh, echolocation and it comes back. Their echolocation, their uh, visual and auditory um, nerves are joined in their brain. They have an extra lobe. And so they send out a sound and it comes back as a picture. It looks like ultrasound, the way we see a baby in, in the uterus. They can do that and they can send that to each other. And they are, they are miraculous and they, have, and they rescue us. People who work, marine biologists say, they rescue us from sharks, from drowning, and they ask nothing of us except to stop polluting the ocean, but that's a different thing. But they do this and they, so they say dolphins are altruistic but they're not sure why. Well, I'm sure why. And this is why I want to talk about it. And I will be going to a conference in England with the mystics and scientists. They're altruistic because we're all in this together, because they know it. We all meet somewhere in consciousness. That's the answer. And when we, and we're learning it now in this crazy, um, you know, situation. Absolutely. Judith, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. You're a wealth of wisdom and information and and help to us. Uh, thank you so much. I've been speaking with Dr. Judith Simon Prager, and she is the author of The Worst is Over, Verbal First Aid to Calm, Relieve Pain, Promote Healing, and Save Lives. And her co-author is Judith Acosta. 
And if you want to know more about her work, go to her website, judithprager.com, P-R-A-G-E-R, judithprager.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3700. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.